Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. I feel behind. I feel like I need to catch up. Why am I not ahead? Have you ever thought that? Usually, when these thoughts occur, they only generally focus on one area of life. Your life has many facets. Your money, your career, your health, your family, your relationships, and even your goals. So while you may feel behind in one area of your life, it's usually because you have compared it to someone else's quote-unquote one area that happens to be going really well. If you list as many things in your life that you feel accomplished in, you'll soon work out that many others may be comparing themselves to your situation. So what am I getting at? I want to encourage you to step back, have a look at your own journey and see how far you've come and the progress you have made. Don't look up at the mountain about how much is to go, but look back down and see how far you've climbed. I may have actually seen that on Instagram the other day. You'll hear in today's episode, we answer a question about someone being quote unquote behind with their superannuation, but all is not what it seems. Progress over perfection, and I've just thought this one up right now, contentment over comparison. Okay, now we can't do this podcast without our show partner, Tao. That's T-A-L. When it comes to claim time, moving forward isn't always straightforward. Since every person's circumstances and claim can be different, Tao tailors each recovery approach to ensure customers receive the support that's right for them. They're committed to ensuring you understand and feel confident in how Tao will handle your claim and making the claims experience as easy as possible. Whatever your journey, Tao's team of claim experts are with you. Tao enjoying this Australian life. And just on that, and just stop the music for one second, Nath. When you're buying insurance, you're buying a claim. I actually had one of my last claims before I started the podcast was with a client who was diagnosed with cancer and he wasn't that old. And we actually put an income protection claim in place for him uh, for the last two years of his life with Tao. And we actually also had a terminal illness benefit paid out of his life insurance and they could clear the mortgage, spend time together, but the income protection also put food on their table through that horrendous time in that family's life. So I've personally seen claims being paid and Tal are one of those insurers that pay claims. So you need to really just make sure that your family is protected, that you're protected. You got one shot at this stuff. So head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help. There's a little insurance button there that you can select. But let's uh, let's get this episode underway. Today, I'm joined by Shelley Johnson, who's the host of the My Millennial Career Podcast, and James Millard. He's a financial advisor, and his company is Sufficient Funds. And I know a lot of you have reached out to Sufficient Funds and worked with James and the team. We have a lot of fun in this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Glenn James. This is My Millennial Money.
James Miller, it's Efficient Funds. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. And Shell Johnson, host of the My Millennial Career Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, we are doing a random q and I've got some special guests for this episode. And we're going to start with an audio question, which I actually haven't prepped you guys with. Uh, so let's play that right now. Hi, team. Uh, big fan of the podcast. Was just hoping you could answer this question on a Q&A episode you do. Um, I'm a 35-year-old uni student. I live in Melbourne. Um, I graduate at the end of this year, hopefully into the public sector or a not-for-profit or NGO. Um, I am currently in a position where my super is only $23,000. However, I do have a term deposit of $280,000, uh, which has been uh, put aside for a house deposit. Um, I'm just wondering if I should keep adding to that. Obviously, house prices here are pretty exorbitant and I'll be an, I'm a single income, no kids, um, or whether I should be looking to really pump up my super, try and get that up to a more adequate level. Yeah, hopefully you can answer that and I really appreciate it. Thanks. So long and the short of it, it's 35 years old, 20 grand in super, about to finish uni, wants to buy a house, has $200 in cash. Should he catch up on his super contributions? What are you doing? 280 in cash, was it? I think. Oh, 200, um, I think. 280,000. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I think you need to wait until you've graduated and you know what you're earning before you make a big decision about, especially borrowing money. Um, I would just sit tight, take your time. You don't have to rush into it. There's no, there's no crazy urgent need. You've got 280 grand or 200 grand in the bank. That's pretty good. And so, your decision then is looking at, well, once you're in the sector, Couple of things. You, if you're, you know, if you, whether you're public service or in the NGO side of things, you might have some pretty sweet salary packaging options, which might give you some extra tax benefits and other things like that that will help you pay for your mortgage or rent tax free, things like that. Um, there's a bunch of things that you could, I guess, benefit from there. And I think just take your time and then look super. You, you've got a good long career ahead of you. I wouldn't rush to to be loading into that. Um, although if you do decide that you want to buy a place to live, there is a first home super saver opportunity there to think about as well, depending on what you're earning. Do you have any comments on that, Shell? No, no financial <laughs> advice from me. But the only thing I would say is how cool that he's looking to get into the not-for-profit space. It's like my all-time favourite. Oh, he said that, did he? A not-for-profit or NGO? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he said not-for-profit NGO APS. Yep. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. All the letters, all the... Um, letters that mean big things to me. Like I much prefer a career in that area. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, yeah, that's good that you guys heard that because I just played these guys that now and I forgot to send, them, send it to them before and I got up and poured a terrible coffee because we're working at a co-working space at the moment. But uh, look, I, th- to me, th- these questions that we get and thank you for sending through your audio questions. And if you want to send in your audio questions, please record it, send it to team at sortyourmoneyout.com. And because we don't get many, you'll probably get guaranteed up on the podcast at the moment. But like 35 years old, about to finish uni, I'm assuming that this individual has worked probably for the 10 years prior or during university, probably for themselves because, you know, he's got only 20 grand super. Even if he had worked for more than 10 years, you would expect to have more super. So we know that probably some type of self-employment or I don't know, it could have been a professional student. Where did the 200 grand come from? Was it saved? Was it inherited? Doesn't really matter. For me to the point, should he put that money into super? 
I'm not doing that. I'm getting our career established. Once we know where we want to work and live, like in the non-for-profit stuff, you know, you've got the best opportunity. You're cashed up. You might find a banging job in another state that you want to go to. I'm probably not even buying a house straight away until you absolutely keen on that place that you want to live. And then I would probably look at, at the time that it comes, with that amount of money, we probably should put most of it towards a home deposit Mm. because we can always swing back around and add more to super. If, for example, like, and this is the wild thing with these questions, if you were moving to a regional area, as an example, and there was a home that you were happy to live in and it was $600,000, well, we'll still pay the minimum amount. So, if it was, what, six hundred dollars $120,000 deposit, you might do that and then make up your super contributions maybe with that $80,000. So, the good thing here is you've got options, but in the first instance, I wouldn't be running to put that capital into super if buying a home to live in is the next lifestyle priority. Yeah. And and I think on top of that, I'm not sure if you mentioned single, couple, whatever. Uh, single. Single, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, if there is a chance that, you know, it's a future family and so forth, I mean, I, I can speak from experience here that having some money in the bank when all of that comes around is pretty handy too. So, loading it into super is not going to give you any access. Maybe it was the regional property. Maybe it's 120 grand. You've still got some money there. That could be invested once you know where you're at and once you're clear on what you're trying to do and and you know what timeframes you're dealing with until you might need that money for something else. Yeah, and also for those who are in a good position where they may have inherited uh, some bank or you've been really good at savings over the last 15 years, what I probably would say is if you were to buy a home, just probably commit the 20% to that to not pay lenders mortgage insurance. But then again, if you're a doctor or whatever, you might decide, well, I'll just do a 10% deposit, no LMI, and just keep that cash on the offset account. So, we're getting the best of both worlds. We've got future opportunity. Um, I mean, any final observations? I think there's no wrong answers really. Well, I probably wouldn't be putting it into super. That's probably... (laughs) (laughs) There is one wrong answer. (laughs) Well... I'll probably go one step further. Like you're a, you know, 35 years old, graduated, like you're not going to rock up to the next role earning a minimum wage. I would imagine just because you've had all this life experience, you've done something the last 15 years, even if the last three or four was university, there can be some provisions where once you are in your job into into your house and you do have um, some capital left over, we may be able to use the um, catch up contributions mm. and you might decide to put some money into super and use the uh, concessional contribution catch up provisions. Yeah. So, I mean, either way, tax wise, it'll probably make sense now that you're graduating, you're probably going to earn good money not to just dump the whole lot in, even if you were going down the super route. Yeah. You want to so there's, split that. There's some strategy involved if you were to do that. Yeah. Because when I started my business, I know that, you know, at the end of each fortnight a week when the pay would come in. It's like, hmm, do I pay my rent or put money into super? (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'm paying rent. (laughs) Um, So, while I did start my business and because I was self-employed, there wasn't a mandated amount that I had to put in. I've had a conscious decision lately to catch up my super, quote unquote, 
but I'm not doing it for the sake of catching up my super because we've always got to step back. You know, Glenn James's super isn't just his retirement trust account that's locked until age 60. It's investment properties. It's my business. It's my share portfolio outside of super. So Glenn's wealth isn't just quote unquote super. And we have to sometimes have that mindset because how many clients have you had, James? They've come in, they may have worked for 35 years. Oh, bloody, we don't have super. We don't know when we can retire. You've got $50,000 a month <laughs> coming got, in from rental income. You'll be yeah, all right. You've got eight properties and <laughs> yeah. some shares. But and super, I shouldn't, super I shouldn't yell in this office. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a co-working space in Newcastle that we've never used before. So Nice, uh, nice little outlook though. <sighs> Lovely little outlook. Um, let's move on, shall we? Rochelle Leach. And remember, if you're putting crap in the Facebook group, I reserve the right to use it on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone have a separate emergency fund for their pets? If so, how much? Do you have a view on this, James, from a financial advisor's point of view? Um, I would say an emergency fund for whatever you might need is very important. And, And your pets, I think, should come into that, absolutely. Whether you need a separate one or not is is probably, uh, I would say you might be over-engineering things a little bit there because emergencies, I mean, really, you're hoping this never happens and you're planning for the worst, but a lump that will hopefully get you through maybe that, maybe losing your job for a little bit, maybe uh, something breaks at home and you need to fix it, just don't get too crazy on your accounts because it'll it'll do your head in. Or it would, would for me, that's for sure. Do you guys have pets? Can I confess something? Mm. And you know what? This always goes down like a lead balloon. In any place I've told this, people look at me like I'm some kind of like. All right, I'm, I'm bracing because <laughs> you're like, are we going to need to edit this out? Pet rampage. Well, I'm not a pet person, yeah. and I think when like so we're in this working space at the moment, and when we came in, the person who greeted us was like, oh, it's pet friendly, and I'm like, I oh, saw this. I'm not pet. Mm. I'm not a pet person. So that means that when I say that out loud, uh, people are like, but what do you mean? Do you not like dogs? Like you're the worst person in the world. I'm like, yeah, probably. Like maybe I am. <laughs> There's a screensaver with cats and dogs on the screen. We're never invited back here, are we? I'm yelling. We hate animals. They're I animal coffee. Well, I mean, don't you think it's like one of those things that when you find that out about someone, you think they're, they're obviously a terrible person? I think you're, I think you're self-conscious about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have confessed it a few times and so now I'm doing it publicly. That's, mm. This is who I am. So if we go back to an emergency fund, an emergency fund is for things that could come up in your life that you don't budget for. Now, if you've got a specific breed of cat, for example, and every second Thursday it has a UTI, well, that's going to be something you budget for. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making crap up. So, like, so... It's just very specific. Yeah, I know. But so, like, Rach Chow, our senior producer now, she's she's got this cool gig. She does pet sitting, which usually includes house sitting. So, she works remote for our team and she works from different homes all around, like, Brisbane and the Gold Coast, getting paid to look after people's homes and pets. And one of her little pets was sick, so she had to take it to the vet and I just asked her before this episode, I'm like, oh, how much was that pet bill? Uh, because the cat needed an injection or something. She's like, it was 500 bucks. So if you do an autopsy, not of your pet, but of your <laughs> last 12 months, if you found that, oh, 
I seem to be spending $500 every six months at the vet. Well, that's now a budgetable line item as far as I'm concerned. And we, and this is the thing, Rochelle, if you want to have a little emergency fund over here, you've got your three to six month normal emergency fund over here. And actually, if you want to go and have a listen, everyone, one of the last episodes up on the My Millennial Money Express podcast, I actually did an emergency fund kind of 101 basic thing. So, go and have a a listen and like and subscribe and all that crap over to the My Millennial Money Express podcast. But if Rochelle, just for her own comfort, because this whole personal finance thing is around comfort, right? And if she's like, well, we've got our $12,000 emergency fund for things that we can't budget for, and we don't budget for. So, we don't budget for car excess. We don't budget for biting down on a bit of food and snapping a tooth. We don't budget for uh, the dog's leg getting broken. Like if if you wanted to just have another $3,000 over there just for the pets, or if you've got 15 different animals, it just means that your actual emergency fund, quote unquote, is three or $5,000 more. So, and if it's a comfort clause in your life that you want it, I don't care. I'd rather you have that than go and afterpay a $10,000 vet bill. Yeah. And when we're thinking about emergency funds or any of this building assets, a lot of clients always talk to me about that idea of security. And it's, it's a personal thing. Security is not a number. Yeah. There's no perfect number for what that might look like for you versus me versus the next person. It's, it's a feeling. Mm. It's you going, okay, there's 10 grand in the bank and I feel like that's a pretty good number. Maybe that's not for the next person. I've got like nearly 12 months of income in the bank because I've got a family and a business and a pretty solid mortgage and things go downhill. I want to be able to handle that for a long time. Yeah. And I actually, uh, I came under a bit of fire for saying in my book that um, a pet was a luxury. Mm, So you can cut the silence with a knife. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I'm basically going out on a limb to say, if you're struggling to put food on your table to feed your own family, if you're struggling to pay the electricity bill, if you're struggling to pay rent, the last thing you need to be doing is going out and trying to find a freaking grudel for $8,000. Just saying. I don't know. But again, as I said, and it's funny, all you people slide into- in context my, though, right? That's like, in context. And you, yeah. yeah. And they all slide into my Instagram DM is like, can I give you some book feedback and then just roast me? I said at the start of the freaking book, it's not a textbook, it's just my opinion and I'm happy to be wrong. If you think a pet is a baseline must-have in my life, that's fine. Just you lay in the bed you make for yourself. And it is for a lot of people, right? And totally. I mean, you could, you could uh, and, I mean, I'm taking a very big step further to say that kids could be looked at in a similar way, right? Mm. But some people don't have kids through choice or not and mm. and pets are you know, in many cases I've seen with clients, they become incredibly important and you're not throwing that in the lifestyle section of the budget. Yeah, a psychologist told me once to get a, a dog. Okay. Um, but on this pet thing, pet insurance, do you have a view, James? If you can, if you can have an emergency fund that you're comfortable with, I wouldn't bother. Yeah. If you can fund, and that's a short answer, but I think if you can fund... The average, I mean, I, I had a call with someone the other day, actually one of your listeners, a 15-minute call yesterday and she had, she was feeling a little bit down because she had spent quite a bit recently. 20 grand of that went to her dog mm. and he's still alive and she's very happy and she doesn't regret that at all. 
Uh, and I helped her see that, you know, you've got to make choices here and you made that call and he's alive and you're happy. Well, let's move on because now you're in a spot where you can build from that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's very subjective. I, I've got a bit of a view in terms of financially on the pet insurance and it is that, um, yeah, if you've got an emergency fund and you're comfortable to just carry that risk. And to be honest, if I, and I do want a, a dog one day because I like little house dogs that, you know, like a cavoodle or something like that that doesn't shed because uh, I, I just like dogs. Um, I will take the view that I won't have pet insurance because I've got an emergency fund and I'm happy to take that risk. But if you're kind of, you know, you price it up and it's $50 a fortnight or $80 a month or whatever it is, and you put it in as your budget line item and want to get on with your life, also okay. Like I'm really agnostic on the pet insurance thing, but I would just say, talk to your vet or a vet, maybe Yvette. Um, <laughs> do people oh still have that name? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um <laughs> Or Anet. Um, and what I would say is just talk to the vet and go, hey, because insurance is all about claims, right? What pet insurance companies have you guys seen that if little Poochie breaks his little paw, they'll pay a claim? And they might go, oh, all day long, these two pet insurance companies, they're really easy to pay claims. Oh, I see you've got a, a, a Swiss mountain dog here, some big dog that, I don't know, that's rare. Yeah, don't use those insurers. You've got to go to a specialist underwriter. Like, just get some advice to make sure that your dog or cat or animal, if there is an issue, that the insurance company will pay a claim. Because with insurance, you're buying a claim. That's exactly right. Mm. Well, <laughs> well, let's move on, shall we? <laughs> And hey, thank you everyone for listening to My Millennial Money today. I know you've got a choice and I appreciate you uh, letting us um, be in your ears. Jamie Tan actually has a question and this is a, it's more of a human nature, human lifestyle vibe questions. And this has come up before. So I think it does happen, particularly in maybe workplaces where you might be around people that are earning more than you and they're extravagant and you're trying to freaking pay off debt or pay off a pet bill or something like that. Um, Jamie Tan says she wants to talk about having to buy gifts or reciprocate expensive gestures or dinners. Yeah. So, I, I wanna... paid for you lunch today, Cheryl. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you reciprocate that expensive bill? I've got a little book meal? and I tally up everything that you pay for mm. and then I know at some point. Then you rip it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And burn, and burn it. it. And I'm like, never look at it again. So... Oh, I we went to the Orton Rooms on Derby Street. So if you're in Newcastle or visiting the area, Orton Rooms, Derby Street. Delicious. Awesome. I've heard of this. Oh, it's so delicious. I think it's about, I always want context. When I see the questions in the Facebook community, I'm always like, give me more context. Like I need all the background info before I can say anything. But I think generous people don't give stuff with an expectation. Like I know you're not giving, you're not shouting me lunch with the expectation, Shell you bloody better pay me back for this. Like, I, and I just know that about you. And most generous people are like that. And so I don't think we should feel this pressure to reciprocate gifts or shout the next time necessarily, especially if that's not within your budget or means. There's creative ways you can do that. Sometimes a card to Glenn James to say, thanks for all those lunches you've shouted me. All right, well, I'm waiting on a few cards. <laughs> <laughs> but do you guys think like, I see this question come up quite a bit. And for me, 
I honestly think it's a, with the utmost respect, it's a confidence issue, a personal boundaries issue, and maybe a an issue that needs to have some expectations set at some point. So if you are in a situation where you're with a friend or someone who might have a, a good income and is happy to shout an expensive dinner or a day at the races or whatever, I think you can, if if in doubt, that boundary thing and just be expectations like, hey, I just want you to know that this is not required. I'm thankful for it. But you know that I can't afford this stuff ongoing because I'm trying to save for my house or whatever. Like, I think it is as we get older, we get more experience with life and people. And I probably would say if we really turn it up to 11, if you actually felt there was a requirement for you to reciprocate with expensive gifts, reciprocate with dinners, that's a toxic relationship, whether it's a romantic one, a friendship or work, it's toxic. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, big time. And I think, I mean, with any of this stuff, you could also say no. And that's a confidence thing too, right? Mm. The, I mean, if, you, if you're feeling uncomfortable, not that you should, right? Someone generous wants to take you out for dinner and it's, it all feels right, well, go for it. Let it happen and, and do it like you guys said. Don't expect that no one's expecting to be paid back for this, mm. right? It would, be, it would be pretty clear at the time um, if everyone's sitting around looking at the bill, sitting in the middle of the table that you were supposed to join in <laughs> on that. Um, and otherwise, if it's not, well, move on with your life. It's fine. Everyone's cool with it. But I think with the with the gift side of things, I mean, generally I would say people aren't maybe gifting you anything unless you're pretty close to them and, you know, gifts come around and, and you can plan ahead for those types of things as well. I, I know, uh, you know, for clients, for us, we we have gifts as an item in the budget that we get every client to tell us what do they spend each year on gifts and I can tell you right now it's the most underestimated item really? on that entire page what, every time really so we would uh, we underestimate how much we'll actually spend on we yeah gifts we think for- we're spending a thousand dollars at sometimes it's five wow. <laughs> or more and mm. I, I mean do it yourselves guys that go coffee home and actually write isn't them all too down. bad it's all right yeah. yeah. Write them all down. Write down every single person in your life that you buy things for around Christmas, birthdays, and then think about the weddings and things that are, you know, the ad hoc stuff. It adds up really. It's funny you say that because on the Glenn James Spending Plan spreadsheet, I've got the allocation for the bank account for gifts, clothes, holidays, Christmas. When we just did the update recently, I added a tab because people were blowing out. Hmm. So every time you spend gifts or whatever in that category on that third or fourth tab, just track it. So at least next year, you can have a bit more realistic expectations because the problem is, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, the problem is we live in reality. Can I ask, okay, like a sense checking, because this is so fascinating to hear Mm. that we under budget gifts and I think I must be doing this all the time in my own spending. How much would you see on average like – people so I'll tell you what I've got in my budget in my spending plan which I love the Glenn James spending plan save my life (laughs) um I've only got well I've only got I've got two grand a year yep and now that I'm hearing you say that I'm thinking maybe I'm like maybe that's where part of my stupid budgeting problem is coming from with a family yeah Do do you buy extended family gifts um 
Yeah, like I'll do my um, at both at both our immediate Sam and I, our immediate family, like maybe like a carton of beer for their mm. birthdays, not a, not a big yep. gift, and then. Yeah, I think I'm. I mean, two to three was probably average for that. Yeah, type of- but but again, if you said you were fairly generous, I'd say three, four, five is probably more accurate. Wow. Um, especially, like I mean, our family was pretty slow to catch on to Secret Santa. Um, where everyone just does one. And I don't buy any of my family gifts. Yeah. We're, oh, I mean, really? we're, yeah. Like both of our families do gifts, but we're all kind of it's a secret Santa thing. But um, but the level of secret Santa is like 300 a person at some, like for, for one of the families at least because that's what they wanted to keep it at, and which I don't care. That's fine with me. Mm. But like, yeah, I mean, I think. But that, like, okay, interesting. On that family thing with secret Santa, imagine being Jamie who's, in this family, and they've just gone. All right, everyone, we're doing Secret Santa. Mm. Uh, five hundred bucks. It's five hundred dollars a person. Mm. I mean, that's a tricky situation for Jamie when she's like, "I'm trying to bloody pay off this loan, or I'm trying to get ahead." Like, do you go, "Hey guys, I'm totally happy to do this," but just to let everyone know, I've got this going on. If I get your name, I'm sorry, you're going to have a very thoughtful two hundred dollar present. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to have the conversations about those expectations, though, because every year when bloody Secret Santa comes around, you're like, far out, here we go again. I've got to have this, like, emotional stress and pressure. But I think where it comes from is now just hearing you say that, James, around we don't budget for it. And so I wonder if it's going back and thinking through, well, what is my own agreement with the gift space? Like, what am I going to commit to, like you said, Glenn, of the boundaries and therefore – how do I have conversations with people about it? Yeah, it's like how good in life, it's like everything can come down to realistic expectations and boundaries and conversations. But it's funny, like, and everyone's probably thinking, oh, Glenn, you tight ass, you don't buy gifts for your family. I think like, so our family, you know, like the temperaments like thinker, feeler, doer, like we're thinkers and we're doers. There's not an emotional drip in any of like mum, my dad, or my sister, right? My dad's a thinker, my mum's a doer, my sister's a doer, I'm a thinker, doer. Like, it's just like whatever. I'll catch up, we'll buy them lunch and we'll go out for birthdays and all that. But honestly, we've all got everything we need. I went to my sister's house the other day and I'm sitting on this crappy lounge. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? This is rubbish. She wasn't home because it was when I was in Queensland, actually. And I just transferred her money. And I said, buy yourself a new lounge. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so if I see a need, I'll act on it. And even the, you know, one of the twins this week said, um, oh, Glenn, can you let me know what type of green screens? Because I want to do some videos and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Stuff yeah. I've, I've got you a green screen, a green screen, a light, click and collect, paid for, get mum to drive you to JV. Like I'll do stuff ad hoc, but I think this is understanding the environment and the people in your world because, yeah, like, so for example, Shell, your brother, Nath, who edits this podcast, hi, Nath, I know he's probably likes the whole gift thing and buying gifts. Would you say that's a fair statement? Yes. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't know, but (laughs) I don't know. You've just got to... I think we just have to don't be tight ass like because it's not as if I'm not tight. We just don't value as a family unit this gifts thing. Mm. 
but yeah, I, I'm, I probably would encourage everyone to just double check how much you're spending on gifts. Double check it. Definitely write it down, add it up, think about all those people because it's the, it's the number of people, I think. And I'll tell you something crazy before we, we need to move on. But like if you're in your early 20s and you're like got decent sized social networks and all that, because a lot of us do and a lot of us don't, you're coming into wedding and engagement vibes for the next five years. So you're going to need 50 to $100 realistically for gifts. Like for someone's wedding and engagement, it might be a $100 right thing. But also, you know what would be awesome if you don't have the money. an agreement around here's how much you have to spend on. Like if it was yeah. just a social expectation, every wedding is 100 bucks. It's 100 bucks buy-in for their wedding. And it's just it's – just, I, I feel like you go to these things and like, how much do I give someone? Like weddings are so freaking expensive. Anyway, just an yeah. aside. Yeah. It's the unknown that means that as the recipient, you're probably going to get more. Oh, it's, yeah. Everyone's scared into, well, I don't know. That's my. I was thinking, like, I'm a giver. I actually, at my wedding, which will probably be within two years, um, I. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, if you can see Jason, my face, we're like, okay, right. No, on. no, but like, at my wedding, I honestly, I don't want, I don't need anything. Keep your money. Donate it to charity. Don't need a toaster. We're going to need instructions for this. Yeah. And we can do it. Yeah. It's, um, it's wild. Hey, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, we're back. The new segment that's been going for about a month now. What is one non-negotiable in your career? We actually asked this in the Facebook group and we just read out people's answers. Uh, I'll start and I'll read a couple. Stephen Sennett said um, a non-negotiable for him is flexibility of location and time. Never again a full-time office-only job. Mm, boom. Yeah. Uh, Tamara Robson a clear purpose that aligns with what I want to contribute to the world. Which, that is a non-negotiable, but I actually said this, I think, to, you know, my team once. I don't know if I said it to them all collectively. 
But I'm like, that's all well and good that we do this purposey stuff. But if I stopped paying you, you probably wouldn't be hanging around for too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you guys see any there? Yeah, I like Nicole's not not doing unpaid work. So, and that's there's time in lieu or additional hours, or you know whatever it might be. And that's that's a really important one because I think if you've got a job that the hours could kick over and over and over, then you, you, I think you do need to be, to a point, you need to be recognised for that. And that depends probably on your position mm. and and your pay and, and the general conditions around all of that. I mean, a CEO isn't getting paid to do nine to five in most cases. It's whatever the hell hours you need to do to deliver your role, mm. um, but your money accounts for that. But I think, you know, that that makes a lot of sense. Stand up for what you're doing and don't overdo it unless you're going to be rewarded or recognised. The other one I really like is uh, openness and trust between the boss and the team. Who and said I, that? Uh, Kiri Lee Glass said that. Mm. And I think it, in any work culture where there's no trust or safety in terms of like psychological safety, we're going to have problems mm. and big problems. And, and I see that all the time in HR where there's no trust and I think... That's absolutely non-negotiable for me, mm. but I think for most people now. Yeah. Mm. And Monica Nixon also said being respected and appreciated. And this is it. In this environment where we're in a low unemployment rate world, and I believe it's 4% at the time of recording, Yeah, it's can- a fight for, like, you don't have to put up with crap. Like, if you're in a toxic place, if you're not appreciated, if you're not respected... I mean, now is the time to make that move. You're so right, Glenn. We recently did an episode on our podcast on My Millennial Career and we talked with Alicia Clark at Seek and she was saying at the time of this recording, there's 250,000 jobs open on Seek. That's them like up there with the most they've, they've ever seen and the application rate is down. Like the number of candidates submitting applications for roles is down by 56%, I think she said. So... You think about what that means for a candidate, there's so much more chance of getting a job. So if you're thinking my culture here sucks, I don't like that my boss, they're horrible, or you actually want to make a career change, now's the time. Mm, There we go. All right, Nath, we might get you to play the bump out music right now. So there you have it. If you're a business and you want to sponsor that little episode, we like to earn money for what we do. (laughs) So reach out to (laughs) and we'll give you a little shout out or something and you can um, work with us. Hey, there's a question here that I might get Shell to answer and it's a bit of a lifestyle slash money question from Jared Brown. Should I renovate my house, uh, which is a second story addition, which realistically could be a 200 grand endeavor to make my house grow in equity and so the family, three kids under eight, can fit or do I sell up and buy a bigger house? Now, Shell, tell us what you and Sam decided uh, and your thought process with that journey with what you did. Yeah, we finished renovating our house and we just went through this journey that Jared's talking about and we looked around and we saw that buying a new place was going to cost probably an extra 200k above what we would pay to renovate. So... We did quite a bit of research and then we did our research on our builders and we realised, yeah, our build is going to be around 250 and so we're going to stay in that area. We knew we wanted to be in that area for at least, you know, 10 more years, possibly longer. 
so kids can get all the way through primary school. So it was much more cost effective for us to renovate, but also because we love the place that we're at in terms of location. And the thing also I loved about renovating is being able to design it how we wanted it. And I was looking at all the houses around our area when we were thinking about whether we'd buy and I just kept thinking, I'm still going to want to renovate this. Like I'm still going to want to reshape it to Mm -hmm. how I want it. Whereas we were able to design our place and it's beautiful and I'm so stoked. And so I think when you've got young kids and you know you want to be there for 10 to 15 years, well, why wouldn't you renovate? That's interesting. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And when we moved from Sydney to Newcastle recently, we went through this same thought process, right? And it was, we were very, very open to finding something older that we'd have to add to or knock down or, or something. Um, and we ended up buying something that had been knocked down, completely rebuilt. And we... we you were able to walk in and we it's We never perfect. thought we would, right? Yeah. We never expected that. And we, we were kind of even in there at auction looking it around and going, you know, is this what we want to do? But we decided to go with it and, and we're very thankful that we did. We definitely paid a premium to do that at the time, but with us both working full-time from home and so freaking busy trying to organise everything else in our lives that renovating and trying to manage that, I think that's another decision point, right? It's how the much stress. time have you got, yeah? And I think what, where we were at, it was so funny you say that, James, because I forgot actually the stress. Now that I'm in it, I'm like, it's so beautiful. Yep. I love it. It's perfect. But it was like a nine-month process we lived in it while we were renovating the stress was next level I was pregnant and it was just I remember we had this tarp we had no kitchen Mm. for six months and so now you're saying that I can remember and I think you do need to go am I prepared for the stress and for us because cost was our biggest driver we were like well yeah we're prepared for that but if like you're saying you're both working full-time you're like cost is not the biggest driver it's actually our mental health and sanity definitely (laughs) um absolutely right and and you might, you, yeah, you need to kind of think about where you're at. And uh, I think the other side of it is sometimes renovating is actually more expensive. It's not always going to be cheaper. And I mean, this is probably for Jared. Um, and did you guys add a level? Is that one of the things yeah, you did? Yeah, we, uh, we went down actually yep. and out. Okay. So, and I don't know, I'm not a builder, I'm not qualified here, but I have heard a lot of people talk about the idea of trying to add another level on might be more expensive than flattening the whole thing and starting wow. again. Um, I, I did talk to a guy the other day who's in uh, a nice area of Newcastle, but they were looking at an 800 grand additional Renault. level yeah, and maybe a 900 grand knockdown and build. <laughs> and it's like, well, do you like the downstairs or do you really just want to start fresh? Yeah. I think it's just in these situations, we know that for you, Shell, and for Jared, like – this is our home and whatever decision we make, it's going to be a somewhat permanent decision. And then I mean permanent is in, let's get the schooling done, let's do all that. So I really think if it comes down to investing money in renovating for the equity, I'm like, whatever decision I make in this instance, it's not to get a one up on an extra hundred or hundred and fifty grand equity because if we move sideways, we're in the same market. If we renovate and increase the value, we're in the same market. So in these decisions, they are purely lifestyle and convenient decisions. I would imagine there might be a 
an outlier of, you know, as Shell said, an extra 200 grand, well, you're paying for that convenience. You're paying for that maybe bigger house with newer bones. But I, I really think it's a lifestyle play. And it's just, I think I would almost, again, I'm very visual and do the, like, do the list. Let's write 10 things down what we love about this lot that we're on and what we don't like. And if the list of don't like, it's like, oh, they grow a lot of weed next door and the midnight raids are actually really annoying. Um, <laughs> or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, you know, we live right next door to a rubbish tip. That's kind of annoying. And I don't know if I want to live here long term. <laughs> um, and we don't love the school catchment area that we're in. So, I think it's a 100% lifestyle decision. Yeah, yeah, we never thought about the – we didn't actually think about the making money off it. It was mm. like how do we just make our home somewhere we love to be? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And and you, you, I think you'll find it – I mean, we got very lucky finding a place that we really loved. That was, a, that was very lucky. It's not normal. I don't think you can walk into most brand new places and think, oh, that's perfect. We won't touch it. When did you buy your place? In so we we went to auction about a year ago. So okay. was, yeah, we settled in June. So it still would have been like the market would have been nuts. Yeah, it was. Well, how was because the stress of that to me was a deterrent from looking at it. I, I was like, I can't do the real estate process. Like, I'd rather deal with the build. Like, how did you go with the stress of that side of it? Because there's always so trade offs. We sold at auction in Sydney. Two weeks later, we turned up at auction up here. It was the first place we ever looked at. Wow. We went on the Saturday morning. We walked in, there was only one other buyer, potential buyer. Um, we all just stared at the ground and not saying anything. It was the most awkward auction I've ever heard <laughs> of being part of. Uh, the real estate agent was getting very frustrated. We finally were like, no, okay. We, we put, the vendor put a bid in, we did 10 grand more and the other buyers left the room. Whoa. And so we hadn't met the reserve, so we we left as well. After that, we're like, all right, we're not even negotiating here. Let's let's just let them call us. And so for all the hype around, everyone's turning up. No one did. Um, sounds still like not ever- really sure why. To be honest, we probably just overpaid. But it sounds like such a dream, mm. dream outcome though. To be the only people. Uh, all right, quick fire questions to wrap this up. Petrus Sand Anam said, "Is it worth buying?" an investment property that you may want to retire into, e.g. a house by the beach? I'm straight up saying no. Yeah, no, unless it's got really good investment prospects anyway. Yeah. And right. it's it's like if the, I think it's this thing, it's like we want to buy, we want to build wealth so we've got more options in retirement. By the way, I don't know, Scott's Head or Mornington Peninsula is an awesome house there. Um, the investment stacks up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, do it. But I'm not just buying property to retire into because my lifestyle might be different at the time. And when I want to retire, you've got more options with super, with your property and tax and all that stuff. Retire, buy the house you want to live in. Yeah. And also, if you already own an investment property and the shoe fits when you retire, shoe fits awesome. But yeah, we're not wagging that dog with that tail or whatever the saying is. If you think about holiday homes at the moment, I mean, think about what they were for families 20 years ago. Mm. It was the only way people went on holidays. They'd either go to the motel or camping or someone's got a holiday house because houses were cheap. Now it's access over ownership, Airbnbs over 
trying to buy something, maintain it, live in it. And so many people, I think you just got to think about, do we really think that's where our mindset's going to be in 20 years time when we actually stop work? You know, as well, I reckon there's a risk of buying the, oh, we want to buy this house as a, um, a property to retire in by the beach. There's the risk at, oh, we're going to use this some of the time throughout the year now, which basically means, ah, oh, so your strategy is different, is it? And you want to make sure you're not turning down rent to fund it just to live in it yourself as a your own holiday home. So, I think yeah. you just need to be clear uh, what, what you're trying to do and not. And this is actually, if we drill down to some of these questions, and I'm not saying this is the case uh, with you, Petra, but sometimes as a professional advisor, and you may see, um, what's your name? James Millard, James Millard. I forgot his surname earlier. You might see it sometimes with career stuff, Shell. Sometimes these type of questions can be the emotional justification to buy the holiday home. Might or, not be. Or they could also be driven by this sense of external pressure, like of mm. what I, do I want, how do I want to be perceived? I think that happens a lot in work, but it mm. also happens with how we make our money decisions. What value does this have from an external rather than what do I want from my life in the future? Yeah, big time. And, and you're right. The, the emotional decision of deciding where to live in retirement is very different to the non-emotional decision that should be, are, are we buying this investment property? Uh, if you can somehow make that mix work and you're using it and you're getting value out of it and you can afford it now, like I've got clients with a house in Avoca and a house in Yamba mm. and they go up to Yamba to get away from it all. Yamba's an epic place. It's right near where I grew up. My grandmother was there. I can attest to that being a great idea if you can afford it. Mm. Um but they're renting it out for really good rent when they're not there and they're making it work. It probably costs them 15 grand a year out of pocket, mm. but it's a 15 grand that saves them a lot of holidays and, yeah, one day they'll probably live there. Yeah. Perfect. Georgia Keem says, what on earth should you do when you face unemployment that will last several months? Have an emergency fund. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my initial thoughts, you know, if, if you're working for a company and you know that they're, they're an American company, I'm just being dramatic here, it's an American or an international company, they're shutting down their Australian branch in three months' time, I'll probably be unemployed because it's a hard industry, I'm getting in front of that curve and I'm getting out now. Unless you know that if I stay around to the end, I'll get a redundancy of 100 grand and, or whatever. So I think in if we know it's coming, we can plan for it. Now... Conversely, what on earth should you do if you face unemployment that will last for several months? That could mean I'm out of work because I need major surgery. Also, can there be some government benefits or something that you can lean on for a hot minute? But I think preparation is power. And I think there's so many options. If it's a, for example, you have a surgery, well, most employers are required to give you three months of unpaid time off before they can terminate you if you've got a health thing going on. So you can actually leverage things that mean you're not technically unemployed. You might not be getting paid, but you're not unemployed, which means you're more set up to get the next job. It's far easier to get a new job when you're currently employed. So there's so many strategies. It's just a very interesting wording, Georgia. And I'm, again, we don't know the circumstances, so we're just being dramatic here. But, you know, what should you do when you face unemployment that will last several months? Like, I would shift that mindset of, well, it doesn't have to be several months. Why is the unemployment happening to start with? 
And why does it have to be several months? And are you already unemployed? Um, if that's, yeah. and now it's a, yeah, I mean, I don't understand the time frame part, but um, I guess I guess the second part to that would be just writing everything down. What are your expenses and what the hell can you cut out? Because this is a time where, I mean, if, if this is the truth and you don't have the emergency fund, you're going into the bunker and you're pulling out all your costs. You're seeing who you can lean on potentially. Mm. What can you sell? What else could you maybe do? Is there a side hustle? Can you just get everything on Gumtree? I guess, you know, map it out over a couple of months and see how bad it might be. But you might find once you get some clarity over the numbers, it's maybe not that bad either. The other thing I was thinking is um, sometimes people are unemployed for a period of several months when they have a non-compete or they have a restraint. Uh, And so if that is the case where you're actually like, no, I can't get my next job because I'm quitting this and I've got a three-month period or whatever, then that's sweet. But you actually can do other things in the interim. Like, so I think what you're getting at, Glenn, is like don't don't necessarily just accept unless there is a health thing, and absolutely that's complex. But if it's don't just accept that you're unemployed for several months. There's so many creative ways of gaining employment, especially right now when the market is so wild. Like, find something else outside your industry and keep working. Yeah, that's that's really good, Shell. Because like, yeah, you're like, oh, I know I want to quit this job and start my own business or move to another employer and I've got a big black book of sales and there's a three-month non-compete, well, it's usually non-compete in that role. So, can you go and do a support role that you're not client or- Different industry. Go and pack shelves in the evening. Or different location, like thinking through where can I work? Everything's remote now. Yeah. So, I think it's a good question, but it's just that we've got to make sure we're always active and not passive, particularly when we know that stuff's coming up on the horizon. Absolutely. We might leave it there. Um, Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, James. Just give us a bit of a plug what you do, what your business does. So, Sufficient Funds is at the core. It's financial planning and mortgage broking. We dive into goals. We get stuck into that and make sure that you're really clear on what you want to do with your life. And then we help you bring the money decisions in and make it happen. Sweet. So, you can uh, reach out to Sufficient Funds. You can Google them. You can go to sort your money out click get help i can introduce you if you want uh, an advisor or or a team or a mortgage or anything like that um just put in the free text i i like what james had to say um and i'm happy to introduce you to james and his team of people who have helped so many of our listeners so thanks so much for your support james thank you and shell host of the my millennial career podcast now you've been doing these career clarity calls for a heap of listeners. I have. Just tell us what the heck is a career clarity call because John does it for property stuff. It's so fun, actually. It's been amazing doing the conversations with so many different listeners. Really, we dig into similar to what James just said, but just for your career, working out what are your values? If you're wanting to make a big change, how do we actually set that up to make the move? And so really what it's been coming down to is helping people make bold moves in their career, move up, get promotions, get more money, that's really what we do. Yeah. And this is it. Like if you, you know, if you're in these things and you've got career decisions to make or you want just a third party who is for you. So, you'll pay Shell to basically allow you to bounce your own personal situation off someone who just wants you to have the best outcome for your life at that stage. So, if that's for you, there's a link in the show notes. And you can jump in and and book a call with Shell. Uh, If you want to know a bit more about her before, you can have a listen to the My Millennial Career Podcast. Love it. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Thank you. See ya. Bye. 
We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. So, um, you guys might not have done an after party with us for a while. So, as you know, I'm trying to move to Newcastle. Do you know that? Anyway. I, I've heard you mutter it a few times. Yeah. So, I've been applying for some rentals. Gee, it's rough out there. Hard to find rent. Oh, I went to this place the other day. It's like 20 people looking through it. At least. I stopped counting at 18. And I'm like, there's no point looking. It's... Really full on. And I'm like, this would suit me because it had an area that I could do like work from home near the lake for the boat. And I'm like, oh, how do I stand out? And I put in the the thing. I'm like, hey, it's just me. I'm happy to pay six months up front. If that, Mm. you know, decline. No, probably think it's drug money, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. What is this money? My millennial money. Yeah, weird. So, and I, yeah, it's, I don't care. I mean, if it happens, it happens, but it's just, I know out there, like I was thinking, I was saying to dad the other day, like, imagine, like, this is the worst thing about rentals, right? You get a 15 minute look at a place filled with other people that you have to make a decision on whether you want to spend the next six months or a year there on a 15 minute look. And imagine if it was an urgent situation, you just had to get somewhere. It's tough. It, it's rough. Yeah, 100%. I remember renting a place in Sydney the first time we moved from we moved from Brisbane at the time mm. to Sydney and like hadn't really thought about, we come out of sunny, bloody Queensland mm. and all of a sudden we're in mouldy, wet, damp Sydney, like mm. North Shore and we moved out a year later with chucking everything we owned out because it was covered in mould. Mould. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. Like so bad just, for your health. Yeah. And now we've like run, run, like, like yeah, avoid it like the plague. I, I Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't care because like there was young families there and I'm like, oh, I'd rather them get it if they're like desperate. But also like I've got a good income. Maybe they just thought, oh, single dude in this big house is going to be too wild. Maybe. Can we, can yeah. we wrap up this yeah. after party? I've got three questions for you. Mm. Would you rather? Mm. Because we did this on our podcast the other day. It was really fun. And so I'm going to ask you. Here them. we go. Okay. So it's short. It's rapid fire. Would you rather? I need to hear both of it. You have to pick one. Would you rather be an employee and get paid a, sh- a crap load of money <laughs> or be an entrepreneur and struggle sometimes, but you have complete control? Ladder. 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 Yeah. Both of you? Entrepreneur. Yeah. Being okay. there. Okay, there you go. All right. Would you rather a insurance in super or out of super? 
both <laughs> out if I had to pick, I guess. Out, but don't hold me to it. Okay. Would you rather property or shares? You can only have one. Tough. Oh, you guys are struggling. Probably <laughs> equities. <laughs> property. Okay, there you go. Why? You fair? capitalist you of the family. Filthy pig. Oh, you mean to what live in or as an investment? Are you living? Because I was just thinking, in general, you can only have one or the other. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I want a house. Fire. I'd rather live in my house. Yeah, I can't live in my shares. Okay, here's the last one. You're employed. Okay, that's mm. the context. You're both employed. Not running your own show. Would you rather work for a horrible boss but have an amazing job, or would you rather have an amazing boss and work in a horrible job? I would take the first option. Horrible boss, amazing job? Yeah. What would you take? Y- yeah, I'm the same. I oh, want, my gosh. I you guys are weird. I want the role. Yeah, really? because like- no, yeah, be- I want okay. the boss. Really? Because I honestly think the boss can't give me the purpose satisfaction side, but the job can. Nah. You know, if you have a good boss, you can negotiate a good job later. Giddy But horrible bosses crush your soul. We don't use the word boss at sufficient funds. Don't you? What do you use? Well, we, Supervisor. We don't have, we, no, we don't Dictator. have one. Dictator. We, we just don't have one. <laughs> Self-managed teams. Figure it out as Self-managed teams, that's it. There's a new phase. Yeah, well, yeah, none of... Um, so, I'll talk about me in the third person. None of, the, like, quote-unquote, Glenn James's staff work for him. They work with him. Yeah. <laughs> I like Except when you tell them exactly what you want them to do. Pretty much. <laughs> but it's a phrase. It's a phrase when you when you when you're explaining things, right? You talk about the team, and you don't tell, like just don't say they work for you. It just sounds. I don't like I, the I, ownership then, portion. The ownership. It's very portion paternalistic. Uh, what's the portion description? They work for you. They're like they're like you. You're whipping them when they don't do the right. Do you thing. say they're on my team? Yep. Yeah. Teams are like my like as in like I think the ownership I get what you you're. I I would like to say our team. Mm. I wonder what your team would pick as you. Uh, is it an amazing job and a horrible them? boss, or gonna, is it uh, a horrible uh, boss? All right, I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a huddle on Slack. <laughs> what would you do? Your do your team? Do you think if we? What would you think they would say about you? You're the amazing boss, horrible job, or horrible job, horrible boss, an amazing job. Can we just have amazing, amazing? Yeah, amazing. No, that's not on the that's not on offer. You can't have both. You can only have one. Hey, Rach. Hello. How are you? Good. Um, Shell just wants to randomly ask you a question. So, oh, my friend. So, okay, here, you have to be honest. It is a confession, and it's a safe place. Do you think working in your role? It, You've got two options to choose from. Option A is that you work for Glenn James. Is he an amazing boss and the job's not as good, but he's an amazing boss? Or is it an amazing job, but the boss side is not as good? What would you pick if you were to choose one? You can only choose one. Like hypothetical? No, in real, any... real life. <laughs> the in real... real life. Yeah, so, you can... so, so don't think about Glenn being here. Just pretend he's not here. We just need to know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I would go good boss, uh, mediocre job. Okay, well, there we go. Wow. And now we know the truth of it. So you've got to make your employee experience a bit better, Glenn, so that 
that wow. Rachel's job is more satisfying. <laughs> hey, gotcha. Um, well, it's, it's better than the alternative, I think. Wow. It is better. Well, Rach, you've just been on the after party, so thanks for... Oh, no. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> See ya. I'm yeah. talking to Nathan to edit that out. No way. No. <laughs> Overruling you because I'm your... Horrible boss. Horrible boss. <laughs> Good boss. All right, see ya. Bye. Um, how funny. Good times. All right, see you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 